The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. In 2017, we initially had no aspiration to develop an end-to-end technology and a 360 plug-and-play approach. We couldn't find organizations that could say, right, you know, here's a warehouse. I'd want to kick this out with a fully functioning vertical farming facility. It just was unheard of. So we trialed variations of technology solutions Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 7. Regular listeners, welcome back. I appreciate you supporting the show. I appreciate you saying hi to me at the conferences I've been attending, Indoor AgCon in Las Vegas most recently. If this is your first time listening, if you found this show because of the conference, because of a friend, because of someone that told you this should make it to your must-listen queue, then I truly appreciate you sharing your time, your valuable time with me. I'm positive you're in the right place if you're looking for a show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last week's episode, we spoke to Emiliano Gutierrez of Raiz Farms, who shared his story and his journey of creating a sustainable food system, not only through vertical farming, but using technology like solar, LEDs, blockchain, and NFTs to transform the way we think about food. Emiliano shared his personal experiences of building a business from the ground up and the challenges that come with it, which is something that resonates with a lot of this audience. He talked about his plans for leveraging blockchain and other technologies to power a decentralized food system. That episode is a must listen if you're interested in startups, agriculture, global solutions, or if anyone is interested in learning about innovative ways to use technology in indoor farming, then please check that out. This week, we speak with Jazz Singh. He's the founder and CEO of Innovation Agritech Group. In this episode, Jazz discusses his exposure to the farming industry in India and how his family's generational farming background led him to explore innovative solutions for food security. You'll learn about the challenges facing our industry, including energy costs, which is a common topic we talk about, and how IAG is working towards reducing them. Jazz also shares how their modular and scalable solutions are enabling growers 
end users to quickly turn a profit while improving sustainability. If you're interested in learning about the intersection of technology and farming and how it's affecting the future of our food production, we've been hearing this as a consistent theme. You're going to really love this episode. No reviews to read out this week, but I am appreciative of all the connections I've made at Indoor AgCon. Next up will likely be Indoor AgTech NYC in June, Vertiform in Dormund, and planning to return to AgriMe in October with the Cultivated team who will also be in Dormund. Lots happening in this space, so many opportunities, so many great conversations. I've been really excited about everything that's coming up for me and the podcast. And again, really heartened to hear the feedback from regular listeners of the show and people who are discovering it for the first time as well. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Chaz, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. This year, Vertiform takes place from September 26th through September 28th at the Exhibition Center in Dortmund, Germany. For those new to Vertiform, it's the most significant trade fair for next-level farming and new food systems. Their international platform is set to showcase the latest developments in innovative controlled production systems for vegetables, salad crops, herbs, and microgreens, as well as sustainable fish, insect breeding, fruit cultivation, and medicinal plants. Vertifarm is shaping the future of vertical farming and new food systems. Reserve your ticket and learn more at vertifarm.de. That's V-E-R-T-I-F-A-R-M dot D-E. If you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that this is the space where I get to talk about some of the fantastic sponsors and supporters of this show. If you are interested in being one of those sponsors, by all means, reach out to me directly, harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. We've got inventory available for season seven, and the reach of the show just continues to increase year over year. And we'd love to partner with you and get the word out about your company or service. So Jazz Singh, CEO at Innovation Agritech Group. Thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you, Harry. Thanks for having me on. Where's home for you? Home for me is London, just outside West London at the moment. So I'm residing here. It's pretty close to our sort of facility, which is in Bracknell, where I'm sort of stationed a few days a week. How long have you been there? Well, at home, I've probably been close to about 10 years now. In regards to our Bracknell facility, we've been there for about close to five and a half years now. Okay. And where were you born and raised? I was actually born and raised uh, probably about an hour outside of Windsor, so very close to Windsor Castle, about 10 minutes away from there. <laughs> you get a lot of people or a lot of friends and family coming to visit and expecting the, for you to give them the tour? Pretty much. I think we're, more, we're closer to more Heathrow, so there's more interest in Heathrow, so we're, we're sometimes a designated pickup and drop-off service. <laughs> and what's it like growing up there? What are some of your fondest memories of growing up there? Mainly, you know, the fondest sort of memories in growing up around Windsor is just that the scene around Windsor is always a bit, there's something always going on, being a sort of tourist attraction. So there's always sort of activities and events. Being quite close to central London, only about 35, 40 minutes away, there's always something to do. Yeah. And then, do you enjoy it? Do you like hosting people and, and showing them what's the best part of it? Yeah, of course. You know, being very close to Windsor, has, it's always been great just to be around the area. It's always been helpful. And you went to university there as well? I went to university in Birmingham, which is probably about two hours away from actually from where I was sort of born and raised. Um, yeah, a bit of a smaller city compared to London. But yes, it was good. How different is what you thought you'd be working in once you graduated from uni <laughs> as opposed to where you are now? Yes, it's probably two sort of worlds apart. And uh, never thought I'd be into the vertical farming space or the ag tech space but I think sort of you know I kind of went back into family roots which are sort of farming you know I, 
I come from a generation of farmers back in India in the Punjab region. So I, I sort of spent most of my summers and uh, sort of half terms doing school leave with majority of my family back in India. And that sort of really sort of got me into the sort of farming space and then having sort of technology background from university and the exposure, just sort of really exploring the two. And it, yeah, that's where the sort of two worlds sort of started meeting slowly and exploring. And here we are in the industry of vertical farming. What was uh, the biggest either cultural differences or just awareness for you in terms of the, the different worlds you were living and navigating when you were you know, those first couple of trips back home to India? So I would say the poverty region, mainly, and especially where the farming region is within India, is obviously it's quite poverty struck in at the moment. The economy back then wasn't obviously doing too well, especially in farming sort of sector. India is quite known to be sort of a an IT background with a lot of engineers and farming was an industry. It's probably been one of the oldest industries within India, but hasn't really been revolutionized by technology. So there was a a lot of difference between the two. And when did you start to put the pieces together in terms of like your experience with technology and like how did it get on your radar? Like what were you seeing or what were you aware of in terms of what was happening in the CEA space? So really when we first started exploring vertical farming in the CEA space, it really came from having exposure within India and having seen firsthand that the lack of arable land, I think the abuse of sort of fertilizers and chemicals, you know, we, we saw the sort of impacts where certain farmers weren't getting the same yields as they were for some time. And it came to from exploring that the industry was failing down to not having sort of government sort of support subsidies that we have in certain Western societies. And it kind of started off more of a sort of in a charity sort of format that what can we do with certain technologies out there and learnings that we've sort of developed that can sort of boost yields, um, just simple farming methods because lack of education, certain parts of there were just basic literacy um, and understanding instructions where you could see that there was a lot of barriers to entry there. So having exploring that was really at the finding technologies and seeing what we can do and then that got me from the a market research point of view is that what can we do to help started coming across variations of hydroponic methods that were obviously used for some time and then using how certain farmers were using leds and glass houses and it just became an exploration and research on you know and what areas that we could see that could work and then we started spending here in the uk and seeing what technologies work quite well. So we tried a, a test pencil facility. We tried a few hydroponic methods uh, with certain LED sort of formats. We then realized, you know, you'd need much more higher level of CEA, more controlled environment that would help, which then we realized, you know, there's a certain level of technologies and costings that are sort of associated. So it really came on starting from those that side of the world and seeing what sort of new advances of Ag tech can be used in traditional farming methods, and uh, slowly we started coming across vertical farming. So you started, if I saw that correctly, in 2015, which in the vertical farming space is relatively early. And I'm wondering, like, who you were looking for, or similar to what you just said, is a lot of it just self-education, and just you know, I don't know that obviously not a lot of companies were doing it back then at the scale and size that 
you know, that we're seeing now. So I'm wondering like where you got your inspiration from, who you were looking to, like how you were having these conversations that, you know, early on. Yeah, so we sort of incorporated our business in 2017, but there was a few years worth of research and development that was used prior before our company was in, in sort of incorporated. Yes, and you're very much right. There wasn't many large companies out there, especially the size of funding that is available. Even when you used to mention vertical farming in 2018, and you kind of had to explain what is vertical farming to where it is today, you'd be like, oh, vertical farming, I've just seen that on TV, or I saw a YouTube, or I saw a reel on TikTok or something along on social media about vertical farming. So, you know, seeing the transition um, of knowledge transfer between what vertical farming is now, I think is being widely sort of accepted. And you are seeing it in much more positive light, as well as you're seeing some of the negative comments of, of what they are, as we're all sort of aware of. But we are seeing a lot of more sort of funding and areas but majority of it was is self-funding more new players coming into the industry working very closely with certain universities here especially agricultural universities that we've got close ties with from our organization so a lot of it has been research and development and uh, in a large way of iag sort of uh, ipm knowledge and know-how talk a little bit about the life cycle in terms of your current product offerings but in terms of like where you started because i know you there's a you talk a, a bit about the the grow frame that you guys pioneered in 2017 and i'm wondering like how that's evolved over the years what were your thoughts about what you wanted to offer and who the audience was when you first started in 2017 and how that's evolved over time in 2017 we initially had no aspiration to develop an end-to-end technology and a 360 plug and play approach, we couldn't find organizations that could say, right, you know, here's a warehouse, I'd want to kick this out with a fully functioning vertical farming facility, it just was unheard of. So we trialed variations of technology solutions, you know, we've, there's some experiments and research development that done really well, and there's many others that failed miserably, and learning, shall we say, the hard way. And for many years, we kept trialing different sort of approaches of how and what technology works quite well and what the sort of science of crops work relatively, what light spectrums work well, CO2, humidity levels and so forth. With that sort of knowledge and know-how, we then started developing what we felt is a version of vertical farming in that was modular, scalable, where vertical farming doesn't have to go into the excess of tens of millions where you can go something much more cost effective and having accessibility into the size of market and you know and after five and a half six years of solid sort of research and trials and research it was really about developing our sort of commercialized solution we purposely have been relatively quite quiet within the scene of vertical farming because we didn't want to stay too much very early on until we had a technology solution that we were ready to release into the public domain, which is now the time is sort of right. And we have teamed up with the, some very good agricultural universities that you're probably seeing in the public domain that we're building vertical farms on campuses within universities for their PhD students to run sort of trials with at the moment. What's the current product mix right now? And who are you, the, if you could paint a little picture for folks that haven't heard of IG, you know, what's the current offering and who's an, an ideal client for you? So Innovation Agritech Group, we specialize in the GrowFrame 360. We have one product that we effectively offer, and it's to build an end-to-end -end vertical farming solution that is fully plug-and-play. 
what we do is that we can convert sort of brownfield and warehouse space into a functioning vertical farm facility. And um, we've collected, and when I say a 360 approach on plug and play is we are referring to our automation that has been developed within our software that has all recipes stored, which control parameters of the right CO2 levels, the right lighting spectrum, and have that directly plugged in that you're able to grow into a vertical farming solution. So all of our solutions are modular and scalable. You can start from a farm as little as half a million pounds in sterling and going up to about 10 million. So we have our entry to accessibility into the vertical farming space is easily accessible in funding. So we built the technology that you can't can come on at a, a smaller scale and then build up your vertical farm to be much more profitable and scalable as time goes on. And who is an ideal partner for you? You mentioned a lot of the work that you're doing in R&D and your partnership with universities. What's the mix look like there? So we teamed up with a, a business called Co-Alliance in the US in Indianapolis. We've had we've been working with closely with Co-Alliance since 2018. We built that relationship. We've been, had two sort of farms that were two farms that were functioning there for research and development purposes, mainly in the Indianapolis area. We've had our farm here in Bracknell into the UK, um, which was outside. You might be familiar with Ascot Races, which is about 10 minutes around from there. This year, we are building a, a farm in the University of Essex, which is probably about an hour and a half away from central London, and working directly with their university. We have several other projects that we'll be building out later this year, um, but I'm sure they'll be coming in the public domain relatively quite soon. Yeah, I noticed you mentioned the University of Essex and the one million pound sterling grant that was available for you to use. Are you seeing more governments taking an active role in looking for opportunities to partner with vertical farming companies? And you know, there seems to be more of those opportunities available because in conversations I've had previously as well, you have cities, you know, looking to really think about this problem on a more serious level. And obviously, you know, the pandemic woke everybody up, but are, are you, and given, you know, I'd, I'd love your perspective, especially since you've been doing this for a while, if you've noticed a more active interest from governments and, you know, organizations at that scale to do something to change the typical way of thinking about how agriculture can solve some of the problems and the most pressing needs we have now. Yes, I think, you know, the pandemic did wake everybody up. I think the food security, we realized that how much of a, a real issue this is. And I generally think that was a, a big driver for all government and food security being top of most countries' agenda. We see it here in the UK um, with the likes of, we've had Brexit as well as the pandemic and a lot of our sort of food was being imported from different parts. So there were some large government grants that were given to all types of farmers here in the UK and vertical farming now and innovations to all types of ag tech. Um, our government are starting to take it a bit more seriously than they have done over the last five years, which then brings me on to other parts of the world. We're seeing places in the UAE that have also taken this sort of very seriously from food security. So we're seeing the research and development that is being derived from university to academic level which we're also seeing organizations that are lobbying certain parts of government to take action. So the grants that are coming out, um, we're seeing that there is a, a lot of traction towards this area and how we can solve it. 
How do you think about as the CEO of where to put your focus and the focus of your team from an R&D perspective and where you're seeing the most opportunity? Obviously, you mentioned your partnerships here in the States. Are there parts of the world where you feel like IAG would be a, a good fit? I know you've got some recent appointments to the team and you're definitely doubling down on growing. It seems like you've been doing a lot of the work to your point, not exactly in stealth mode, but just under wraps. And it sounds like, you know, this past year, you know, including this interview as well, just getting more visibility for yourself. And it seems like that's been a conscious effort for you to grow your visibility in the space. Yeah, I, I think we've been purposely working, like you say, Harry, and to quote you, is to be in stealth mode. We wanted to be absolutely certain. You know, credibility, integrity is very key for our business. We never want to release statements that we want to say of is so research and development has really been on top of our agenda. Every statement we put out there is, you know, we fact check it, we double check with our plant science team, seeing what can be achieved, what is accessible. And we like to be as transparent as possible. We allow access into our vertical farming space for any visitors that actually want to come down our biotechnology. We're running a relatively, a fairly large research and development space, which is 10,000 square feet, roughly about a thousand square meters of space. So we test on scale. We understand the challenges within the market and the industry. We really do see research and development as top of our agenda. Uh, I also noticed it was interesting that IAG is one of the few, if the only companies in the country to be Red Tractor and GAP certified. Is that correct? Correct. We were the first accreditation for Red Tractor to demonstrate food safety and how food can be farmed safely um, within a vertical farming environment. So we're quite proud of that accreditation. We have a very experienced team who helped drive that those on Red Tractor. And it was more about working with the sort of regulators and the auditors to creating a, a sort of new landscape. They understand the challenges of that this landscape is changing on how traditional farming is growing and putting all of our SOPs in place to making sure that those skills are transferable. And it really does help our next generation of farmers that will be purchasing our growth frame. 360 because all of our SOPs are recorded, which allows accessibilities directly into the supermarket very, very quickly. And this process took us quite some time to actually really perfect. But now that sort of handbook is now being produced internally. We can pass that handbook and knowledge out so we can show how it can be done safely. You can get an entry into the supermarket, not just in the UK, but to have global standards, which is global gap will provide any sort of buyer of our technology. Um, the route to access safely farmed produce. For anyone who's not familiar with Red Tractor, can you explain a little bit about what that certification involves? Yeah, the Red Tractor um, certification is really about supermarkets being the traceability of food, understanding that the farmers that are growing the food have done things the correct way, ethically recorded and have traceability onto all sort of food standard. Um, it gives the consumer the confidence that the farms that they've been buying from the supermarkets and they adhere to certain regulations and they've been put there for the safety of of everybody within in that trail that audit trail do you feel like because of the the time you've spent in acquiring a certification like that which is really important and obviously anyone who's in the space and understands what that means puts a lot of value in that but that probably gives you a leg up in terms of like understanding the needs of supermarkets specifically as it relates to vertical farming any concerns they might have if all their experience has been with traditional ag and i'm wondering as you deepen those relationships how much of that is really educating 
you know, the folks who've been in the world of supermarkets for probably decades and now trying to get up to speed with what's happening and the possibilities that are available with CEA? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the key of getting this absolutely correct, I think the supermarkets have been quite open into hearing what are the sort of new word, um, the new way of sort of farming and growing, and they understand the red tractor accreditation is, is something that they need to really adhere by for traceability purposes. But the key really is with certain supermarkets, especially that we've been sort of working quite closely with, who has actually walked us through. The key for us, it has been the red tractor, I believe, is probably one of the strongest ways of audit trails to get absolutely correct. What are the challenges that you foresee with, you know, maintaining that or increasing the visibility of that accreditation and anything that comes to mind that is going to be possibly a challenge going forward, either from an education perspective or implementation perspective? So from an education point of view, the red track, I believe they're constantly sort of evolving in the red track. I think they understand the technology landscape and how it's sort of changing from a traditional ag space into an agri-tech space. So I think they understand the challenges that we have a, a food supply chain that needs to have more consistent and continuity supply chain. So it's always quite key at the moment that they're aware of sort of evolving within that space. And I think the red tractor is, uh, is following that sort of protocol. I'm curious, since you've been building the team for a while, and obviously I'm, I'm wondering how much of the previous experience you have, because you were in, in wealth management prior to CEA, and I'm wondering if there's a lot of things that you may have learned there that you didn't think you would need those skill set for a, a new career in CEA, but I'm curious how much of that has been able to be translated over there, because I imagine some of that experience in research specifically and analysis is probably coming in pretty handy right now. Correct. I think so. From our point of view, we've been, I think the skill set has been as the experience of the team that we've had around us, team that we have around IAG are sort of well experienced. They fill in the gaps of areas that me and the rest I don't personally have. So, from a growing point of view, um, manufacturing, it's been absolutely key that the team that we have from all realms, and, and that it's really credit to them on how we've managed to get red tractor quotation, how we've made, managed to make sort of lean manufacturing from our equipment is having those sort of key individuals in place that has really helped. Um, and then my sort of previous experience of fast management, like you sort of mentioned, has really been about building the organization to add value to what we're doing and to, and to really provide a value add as a business and to take that forward. So between us all, we all bring different, a breath of fresh air into the business that really helps drive it forward commercially and from a research and development point of view. Yeah. What's been the biggest aha for you as the CEO of CEA and how have you grown and changed as a leader over the years since starting the company? I think, you know, we all grown as a leader within this business, um, especially in the vertical farming, something that is, hasn't been an industry that hasn't been around too long and everybody's still learning. It's just to say, you know, we take advice from all areas to understand what sort of research is important, what sort of commercial avenues are sort of important. How can we all bring different skill sets together? How can we learn? How can we collaborate, partner with the right organizations to really drive this industry forward? And I see ourselves as a, a strong collaborator with different types of academics, different types of agricultural businesses that have been around some time. And just bringing everybody together in a collaborative space and saying what skills and can we all sort of offer each other to grow a business. And that's just been a learning every. When you think about 
you mentioned partnerships, you mentioned relationships, moving into a new industry. Are there some, you know, relationships you've built over the years, mentorships or people that have been helpful for you as you've been navigating this world and, you know, relationships that you continue to this day? Yeah, I think, you know, I've had so many great mentors throughout my journey in business in the last 12 years. So it's always been having the right, I always believe in having the right sort of advisors around us, the right sort of people that can actually add value to our organization. And I think the company has gone strength to strength just by having great sort of advice and professionals around this space that can really help drive the organization forward. So it's all hats off to all the sort of advisors that we have surrounded around us that can help really guide the business forward, especially in an industry that is very capital intensive. So having right people around us, having the right advice can really help drive the business and the value and, and our offering that much forward. How do you think about the next phase of IAG? Because, you know, a lot of what we've talked about here is sort of coming out of, you know, what we'll call stealth mode. And you have a renewed focus in growth now for the company. And so when you think about, you know, let's say 12 months, because typically in this environment, it's, it's hard to think beyond that with everything that's happened that people have been surprised of. But as the the leader of the organization, you know, what are some of the things that keep you up at night in terms of like thinking about what that roadmap looks like and any challenges you might face uh, going forward? I think the challenges, not just for the business, but generally for the industry is, as we know, the energy costs of which is the elephant in the room and the conversation that tends to keep coming up within the vertical farming space. But it's how that can be addressed. You know, we're working with some great sort of renewable energy partners that are bringing a great level of sort of experience of from that point of view. So I think it's really what it really comes down to is the how to reduce energy in certain areas and not sort of wasting energy and being really efficient in certain areas and being able to push into certain renewables that can be used within the vertical farming space. So I think they are definitely the challenges within vertical farming. And if that challenge can be addressed, then it's, the, it's something to, to look forward to. Where are you seeing the most hope or the most progress? Or, you know, if you think about the future, because obviously, like, you know, to your point, electricity is top of mind for everyone. So are there anything that you've seen on the frontier? Obviously, not anything that might be proprietary, but anything that has you excited about the potential for where we can make some improvements in that space? I think a lot of people understand that energy now is only going to go one way in the future. So I think a lot of growers and users of vertical farming technology are saying, where can they be slightly bit more efficient now than they have been previously? And then that really comes down to certain recipes and understanding of really getting certain, shall we say, HVAC requirements exactly correct. That might mean getting certain spectrums correct, might be using, utilizing the spacing of certain LEDs areas from the plants that you're growing and certain drivers to having them where they are and using different types of heat exchangers quite carefully in the correct manner to making sure that you're a bit more efficient in the way that we're growing. So these are all elements that are sort of mechanical engineering and our team here at IHG have been thinking about constantly and always creating ways to reduce the sort of energy output but still growing. The key for us is, is that any user of our technologies is making profit efficiently and utilizing their energy lower than what they should be doing and really achieving those sort of targets and what renewables can plug in, allowing their OPEX costs to be absolutely reduced, allowing their initial CAPEX costs to be paid very quickly and to be in a profitable state 
um, which allows our units to be, which are like we sort of mentioned, are modular and scalable. So the key is, is the quicker that we can get our growers and users of our technology into profit, which I'm sure they'll be growing their operations that much faster by using the kit that we're providing. So it's all about scaling our customers and we're doing all the sort of groundwork from an R&D point of view to ensure our, our growers are always growing at a profit. You talk a little bit about the environment uh, in the UK when it comes to CEA. I've had a couple of conversations with folks in the space from there, but I'm curious what your perspective is like what, in terms of adoption and in terms of support, in terms of resources made available. What's you know, being on the ground there? Like, What's the environment like from your perspective? When you say the environment, can you sort of elaborate slightly? Yeah, just more? support from government or support from agencies. You know, there's obviously some of the certifications that you've been able to line up. I'm just curious what it's like over there because I'm, I'm curious because each country, you know, when I speak to folks in certain spaces, you know, they're at different scales in terms of like understanding like how important this is for, you know, what's necessary and being independent in terms of not having that dependence on outside supply chains and just more and more awareness. And I'm just current, you know, curious as you know, being there, like what your perspective is. I think government support has only recently now been on top of everybody's sort of agenda recently. So I think that area is, is yet to sort of develop. Um, there are sort of grants that the government are slowly sort of releasing. Um, those government grants are sort of widely available, a very sort of a competitive landscape. Um, so from that point of view, I believe that is yet to establish and, and improve as time is going on. In regards to the certain space of maybe private investors within this space, I think the appetite is definitely there to be sort of green, sustainable, being a technology business. And food security is definitely on everybody's sort of agenda. So I think support from private investors are, is definitely there within the organization from the vertical farming space. And I think certainly even supermarket support with certain organizations that have supply and demand constraints with increasing freight costs. Now, I believe that majority of supply and demand from supermarkets that they've seen that you know we are constantly getting empty shelves within supermarkets and that's mainly due to the cost of freight. And that is really the, you know, the supermarket support is also there. You know, you're seeing a lot of people that are coming into this space saying, well, are coming into a more of a, an open mindset to say, well, you know, we do need to sort of shake up the way that we're doing things. And if we are buying local, we sort of definitely appreciate there might be a premium to buy vertical farm produce, but it is reducing sort of air miles. It is being sort of readily available. So, you know, it's a balancing act that needs to happen. But I think supermarkets are sort of understanding that now more than ever before. Thanks for that perspective. I appreciate that. The other thing that's a concern, obviously, locally is the ability to find talent. And I think we're seeing more and more awareness and programs being started in universities as well that specifically prepare folks for you know a career in CEA. But I don't think that was the case early on or in 2017. So how has that changed over time for you and for IAG in terms of you know seeing the caliber of the talent that's available? Is a lot of it homegrown and people just learn on the job or are you seeing the talent pool widen up? Yeah, I think the talent pool is definitely sort of widening up, um, you know, which is great. You know, new talent, new blood within the industry is very, very good. You're seeing a lot of, you're seeing definitely a lot of young farmers that are coming into the industries, people that don't want to do things traditionally. Definitely seeing the way that ag tech and vertical farming is shaking up. 
and disrupting the sort of industry on how things were growing traditionally. But just from using our personal experience within IAG, especially recruitment, is that a few of us, a few of our employees have come directly from the universities and that was sort of homegrown within the ag tech space and, and plant science, crop science. So it's definitely been a great space for us having collaborations very closely with the agricultural universities. You know, we put out what we're looking for and, you know, we seem to attract some great talent and they're really bringing some new knowledge and, and breath of fresh air into the industry. Also with the recently the red tractor that we recently spoke about they after a successful audit and we managed to get the red tractor accreditation they filmed a short documentary for young farmers getting into this space and done a sort of advertising campaign which is great to really sort of say traditional farming is changing so you know we are trying to they are trying to attract the younger generation of farmers coming in into this space i think with awareness as well things like we're seeing quite a bit on social media i think that's also sort of bringing in that sort of talent and awareness, which allows people to sort of look into this field a bit more deeper and they might be sort of going into the education part of it. And I think that's what really benefits us having some of our technology within the University of Essex, because ultimately we're, we're training a new set of potential researchers and understanding how this technology works and partnering directly within this and creating a sort of circular economy that we can effectively once there are commercial opportunities available you, know, you have a trained workforce that is familiar with the technology that we're supplying so having those good collaborations are definitely key yeah that partnership with the university is really important it's, and it's interesting that you mentioned you know, the impact of social media i think a younger generation regards vertical farming as something cool <laughs> as a fun industry to work in and, and i think that's really getting and bringing a lot of visibility and a lot of fresh faces into the space as well there's probably multiple answers to this next question but i'm always curious and i ask what's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently I think there's a lot of tough questions within the vertical farming industry. There's always new challenges constantly in a weekly process. I think there's always been obstacles along most routes, but it's, it's how adaptive is the team around you and what solutions can you provide? But I think, you know, the tough question always sort of relays back to, it just relays back into sort of certain energy costs. I always sort of refer back to it, but it's how adaptive and how can you sort of always reduce certain types of energy costs? And that's always a very high onto everybody's agenda. Um, so I always sort of drum that into everybody. I'm saying, how are we going to reduce certain costs? When you think about what your journey has been, you know, how you shifted careers, how you've been early in the space, all the work that IAG has been doing to prep for this moment and all, you know, you've even done a rebranding, <laughs> I saw, of your IAG as well. What keeps you motivated, Jazz, to keep going, given, you know, obviously some of the challenges you mentioned, you know, I'm just curious from a personal perspective what that's like. Being motivated within this space is really about being able to make a difference on how we're sort of, how we're changing the industry, the food industry, how this technology can really help change food security. And we're definitely not going to sell, you know, save world hunger and anything silly like that sort of comment. But it's definitely, I believe that it will help into certain poverty sort of struck in areas that once this technology has established itself, it can really become cost effective and being able to give back into certain areas. And I think that's what really comes down to it. The cost of vertical farming is definitely going to become more and more cost effective. It is going to become more accessible. There are, at the moment, it's not just going to be sort of large conglomerate 
buying tens of million pounds of vertical farming equipment. I really think that we believe in accessibility. We believe in building modular and scalable systems that you know vertical farming can be cost effective if it is done correctly. And that's always on that really does motivate me just coming from the sort of experience of and I think certain farmers are against so many different challenges, the likes of obvious reasons of global warming, climate change, lack of arable land, soil erosion, that list just seems to be growing year on year on year. So I think what keeps me motivated is to show that maybe some of those challenges we might be able to factor towards helping that change. Yeah, that's very inspiring. And I think it's important to remember that this is a long-term goal. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And you talk about, you know, there's a lot of barriers in terms of costs and understanding the tech, but a lot of those over the years, and, and you've probably had firsthand experience with this, the technology just keeps getting better and better. The costs are coming down. We're looking at different ways to solve the energy challenges. So I think for the people that can stick through it and it can make it through these next couple of years, I think uh, they'll be in a good position for, you know, leading the way for and showing exactly what's possible in this space. So I applaud you for your persistence <laughs> in continuing to keep going. Right. No, definitely. I think it really comes down to areas that as long as, you know, we're able to support in certain areas with an understanding of all those challenges and having the right individuals with experience and team members and collaborations, they are all key factors to make sure that this industry, as well as IHG, is successful within the field that we're operating in. So as, as we wrap up, I want to always leave time. You've heard a couple of these episodes. And so there's a lot of your peers that have been on this show and a lot of folks who are interested in the vertical farming space. So I like to leave a couple of minutes for anything you might have as an ask or a message to anyone that's, you know, in this space currently entering the space or considering it or anyone that, you know, appear in the industry. I think, you know, we, just to put out, we're always open to collaboration. It is definitely part of our sort of vision to making sure that we're teaming up um, with the likes of all types of you know, people from academia to commercial growers to even vertical farming organizations that might need support in certain areas from research and development. We wouldn't say that we're a, a closed book. We're always open to sort of conversating, research and developing together and really helping sort of develop our research to making sure that this industry is successful from any collaboration that might be, you know, we just say reach out to us and uh, we can definitely sort of explore further. Um, we really think the growth frame 360, the technology that we've built is one that we, we believe that will be served within the vertical farming space for the long future that we see ahead of us. And the technology is really being developed to make sure that it serves the needs and it serves from a CapEx and NOPEX point of view to ensure that the users of the technology generating success from it. So. That's a very good to hear and very inspiring. And uh, we'll make sure we include links to the products in the website, in the show notes. It's iagra-tech.com. Is there any other place you want to send folks to learn more about what the IAG is up to? Yes, we have our sort of social media handles that are available on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. So there are the two sort of platforms that are quite active. If anybody wants to keep up to date on what we're up to, we tend to be quite active on both social channels. So feel free to reach out. If anybody wants to sort of come down and visit us, we our Bracknell facility just off 45 minutes away from central London, more than sort of welcome to. So just reach out to our team on our website and we'll sort of book you in. 
I'm always conscious of keeping those locations uh, of the folks I've spoken to in mind as, as I started my travels again. So if I'm ever in the neighborhood, I'll definitely let you know as well. We'll make sure the links to all the socials and the website so no one has to go looking for them are going to be included in the show notes. But I know we've had a couple of back and forths with trying to get this scheduled. I'm really excited that we finally had this conversation because, you know, you've been working at this for a while and I was really interested to hear your perspective, Jazz. And I'm really excited to see all the work that you've done so far some of it in self. And then now, thankfully, with this episode and the work your marketing team is doing, I think the word is getting out about some of the the, the positive uh, developments you have in the space. So I encourage everyone to watch closely what you're doing, because it seems like you're just starting to hit your stride and then some big things are coming. Great. Well, thank you very much for the kind words, Harry. And if you ever are in the London area, we'd love to host you and uh, show you exactly how our technology works. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks again to Jazz for coming on the show and sharing his story. As always, full show notes are available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Summary, timestamps, key takeaways, any resources mentioned in the show. Special thanks to our Season 7 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking to a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co. As a reminder, if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I love nothing more than to read these out on future episodes. Tune in next week for another conversation with a fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. This time it's Zale Tabakman from Local Grown Salads. As someone who's been, for the most part, independently bootstrapped, this is an interesting and lively conversation. Zale has a unique take on his experience in the industry. And this is a really lively conversation, which I know you'll enjoy. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.